up, we thought food was only something that could be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great cooks. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. Memorial Day is the best. I love that holiday. It's it's a time just to like, I don't know, emerge from the wintry cave. Yeah, but I think I think will. both Memorial Day and Fourth of July kind of they feel the same to some extent. Maybe because there aren't super strong expectations. Like familial expectations, maybe. Yeah. Because there's there's like barbecue and then there's cookout. And I mean if you like really want to do life well you got to know how to barbecue i don't know i'm sorry is that like too too uppity for you chris but a cookout on the other hand anybody can cook out sure sure i guess i was i was thinking more along the lines of like you're not expected to fly halfway across the country to see your family on memorial day but also oh I also see barbecue Definitely also barbecue. And I'm a jerk. Yikes. Yeah, I know I see where you're going with that. No, that's fine. Um, food's more important, apparently. I do appreciate Memorial Day for obvious reasons, but, you know, America. But also, it's just a chance to have, have good food together and, you know, these cookouts, bring your neighbors in and all that fun stuff. But when it comes to, like, the fair of Memorial Day... It tends to just be basic hamburgers and hot dogs. And, I don't know, I, I would like to see America maybe, like... Breakfast burritos. I sure. I would... I'm always down for a breakfast burrito. I love a can't breakfast burrito. You can't go wrong. You really can't. If you serve a breakfast burrito at Memorial Day, you should be on the show. I'm formally inviting you to be on Dad's Kitchen. In fact, you can even be the host of Dad's Kitchen. That much respect. If you're not serving a breakfast burrito on Memorial Day, that's totally fine. Uh, you can just listen to us talk about what other people serve on Memorial Day, and that's hamburgers and hot dogs. So, Chris, how can we make them better? This this is a show about taking them up a notch and making Memorial Day worth a cookout. How can we make them better? I feel like there are maybe two different categories to explore, but, you know, they're, they're simple dishes. And so the actual ingredients, the base core ingredients themselves probably like stand out a little bit more. So I think, I think we can look at like ingredients here, Phil, or we can look at what you put on them, toppings, if you will. And maybe before we dive into that, we should talk about where they come from because there's some debate there. I mean, that's kind of, kind of maybe logical, I would say. The hamburger. Let's start with the hamburger. I would say that a lot of people would agree that I don't think this would come as much of a surprise to most people that it comes from Hamburg, Germany, right? Hamburg, hamburger. Sure, why not? Except back then, it wasn't really what we think of as a hamburger today. It originally started in the 19th century as kind of like meatloaf. It was like a minced beef steak combined with garlic, onion, salt, and pepper. Okay. Well, actually, Phil, I have a question. All right. My hand's raised. I don't know if you see it. Yes. Chris, you there in the back. If if hamburgers come from Hamburg, where do you frankfurters come from? I feel like I feel like you're trying to steal my thunder. 
<laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no. Okay. And we'll get to uh, that. Meatloaf. We'll get to that. Continue. Meatloaf obviously comes from meatloaf for Germany. We'll just skip past that. So it starts out as kind of like a meatloaf. And honestly, like that sounds pretty delicious. I don't think those ingredients are bad ingredients. Yeah, I know. But uh, was it just like this kind of standalone thing at that point? The patty was like a standalone deal. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. And German immigrants start selling them in New York and Chicago out of food carts, and they start selling them to factory workers. But then the factory workers were like, man, I can't eat this. I've got soot all over me. There's like in this industrial revolution going on, and with the industrial revolution comes a lot of like dirty industry, right? Can we call can, it that? Can we define what that means, Phil? <laughs> no, we'll just <laughs> leave that up to the listeners to use their imagination. So they're like, we can't eat this thing. We're getting this meatloaf patty thing a little bit dirty. And what can we do about it? So then one guy's like, why don't we just put it in a in a in a in a bun? Wow. This is getting very dirty. And demand for the hamburger just goes crazy. America loves this thing. Now you can like find the hamburger anywhere. You can obviously go to McDonald's. I think I heard something like 75 hamburgers are sold every single second from McDonald's. I don't know. I've got my doubts. But obviously you can like find them at a Michelin starred restaurant. You can go to a cookout on Memorial Day and find a hamburger. They're everywhere. America loves these things. But the problem is, Chris, the demand for the hamburger is surpassing the supply. Okay. So apparently like some scientists have like toyed around with the idea of growing ground beef in Petri dishes to supply the demand. Yeah. yeah. You've heard oh, this? Yeah. No, I, th- I think I've, I've seen several different experiments on lab grown meat and it seems as though it's come a long way, especially in kind of taste tests and stuff. The idea is still super weird, but like I, I can get the, I don't know, environmentally friendly nature of it. Obviously, like we're not killing cows, but like, you know, all the resources that go into uh, cow ranching and all of that. Would you eat a lab burger, Chris? Uh, how much are you paying me? No, you're you're paying no. for this thing. I guarantee you a lab burger would be more than $12, which is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like the acceptable going rate for it. a nice cheeseburger, yeah. 12 bucks. Ish, yeah, I think so. I'd try it. Maybe. I don't know. It, I, I would feel a little bit weird about it, but it's probably fine, right? How do you feel about an impossible burger? Honestly, I feel a little more accepting of that. Yeah, and I think maybe because like the impossible burger or like a veggie burger or I don't know, like a bean burger, maybe black bean burger. They they sometimes, I mean, they like, you can get really close to the flavor of beef with that. And especially if you're like adding a bunch of flavors on, on a burger, then, you know, if the toppings become more flavor forward than the beef itself yeah then i have no problem yeah. with yeah i mean experimenting a little bit honestly like i'm i'm not i'm not crazy against gmos or anything like that i know that like e- even like selective breeding is you know, not too far off from a lot of that but yeah there's still something that's just like a, a tiny bit strange about like test tube hamburgers i don't, I don't think it's the taste of of it all I, I i would think that a lab grown hamburger could taste very very similar to let's call it a free range burger an alive burger once a live burger but uh an alive burger. Yeah, like maybe more so than even you know something of the impossible variety um whatever your go-to veggie burger is but yeah i don't know there's just something there's something a little too sci-fi about it for me i think I think sometimes those veggie burgers can have like three or four times the carbs that you're hoping for. And I don't know. I'm not a nutritionist, but they, they get you sometimes. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so so the hamburger, pretty pretty good 
pretty good little entree there. I take it you've, and maybe I should have asked you this before we even started, but you've had one, right, Chris? Um, I don't know if I have. Like when you say hamburger, what do you mean, Phil? Boy, hamburger, Chris. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've had one of those. One of those. Yeah, sure. So if the hamburger comes from Hamburg, then the Frankfurter comes from... Burter? Lind? Yeah. No, it comes from Frankfurt, but maybe it might not. It's up for debate because where is Frankfurt? It, it depends on it depends on what, what we're talking about. Are we talking about a hot dog being a, a Frankfurter or a, a Wiener? Whoa, that's what we're going to get at. That's what we're going to get at. <laughs> right. So the Frankfurter obviously came from Frankfurt, Germany, but is the hot dog a Frankfurter? That's that's the important question. Everybody in Vienna yeah, yeah, is yeah. like going to just explode if you say that. Is, yeah. Okay. So I think that's a great question. Is, is a hot dog a Frankfurter or a, a wiener? But I think you could easily say that a hot dog is a sausage. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with like whatever people want to latch onto. I, I think it's totally fine. But I do think it's cool that that the word wiener actually comes from Vienna or Ven or Vein, maybe. And they would obviously pronounce that as Vayner. So etymology, Chris, this is a show about etymology. I didn't think it would be when we started it, but it is because we often land there. And I like etymology. Dad's Kitchen, we like etymology. Ooh, that gets the snap clap. So bad. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Anyway, similar to hamburgers, they got super popular in America. And so the dachshund roll, Chris, milk and sauerkraut, it's sold in New York. And in 1871, this German baker comes along and he opens the first hot dog stand in Coney Island and he starts selling them and he absolutely kills it. And then Chicago gets on board and then St. Louis hears about it and they love it. So then a St. Louis bar owner who also just so happened to own the St. Louis Browns, which was a major league baseball team, he starts selling them as ballpark and the rest is history. And we've got your hot dog because they're like, gets your, get your docks in, get your dash in rolls while they're hot. They're like, hey, that's pretty clever. It's called a hot dog. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like. Vienna was just livid. So it sounds like all good things come from street vendors. Absolutely everything. And originally, this is kind of cool. I don't know if this is true or not, but as legend has it, they were still kind of similar to the hamburger served without a bun. And then this German baker comes along and he's like, yo, everybody keeps burning their hands on this thing. Why don't we just serve it on some bread between two slices of bread to keep people from burning their hands? And then, bam, the hot dog is born. Yeah. At least what we think of as a hot dog is born. This is, as an aside, I feel like I've heard a couple other stories that are kind of funny. Like, let's hear the hot dog actually not coming from the dachshund roll, but rather because people thought that German immigrants actually put dog in them. I think we should leave that in. That's pretty clever. That there's like a story about a street food vendor giving gloves to people with the sausage, but people kept stealing the gloves. And then there's another one, kind of same thing, World's Fair, but people took the gloves as like a souvenir. And it was getting too expensive to buy gloves, so they just gave them to people on rolls instead. That's brilliant. It kind of reminds me of, what's that quote from, oh, what is what is that Chris Farley movie, Tommy Boy? When he talks about how his, his dad could still catch a popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Yeah. That was probably the hot dog. Probably. Yeah, I think so. Pretty much. Pretty much the same thing. Anyways. Actually, well, I guess it's not cold, but a, a cold hot dog could be a ketchup popsicle, I suppose. I would not eat a cold hot dog. What if it had like a little bit of ice in it, so it's still crunchy? Then it would be cold. But does that... You mean like the outside would be hot? 
Oh, maybe. Like it was originally frozen, and then you throw it on a grill, and then you think it's done. Maybe. you take a bite of it, and it's still icy that's on the inside. That's extra texture, Phil. That's like, that's like next level. How do you keep the inside frozen while making the outside burn your mouth? We're charting very dangerous territory here, because what you're describing is actually the kind of cookout that I grew up with. <laughs> I don't want to offend any family members, but come on, guys. We can do better than that. Notably, let's not freeze our beef. I mean, I think the, the, there's there's obviously a lot of ways to improve the hamburger or the hot dog. And I think if we're going to if we're going to start, if we're going to like serve a really delicious hamburger, we'll, we'll start with the hamburger. Don't buy frozen beef. Like so much of that flavor and moisture just gets lost. Actually, let me back up. I think you can you can buy ground beef and then you can freeze it and you can freeze it well and then you can have it later on and it's going to be delicious. But when you buy pre-frozen beef, it's not going to be the same. So I think we can start there. Like let's just like not buy frozen beef. And honestly, I think this kind of goes back to that idea that a hamburger and a hot dog both are rather simple platforms. There aren't a lot of ingredients going on. So you do have a lot of room to be kind of more mindful of those ingredients, whether it's higher quality ingredients or just treating them better. Absolutely. Like, for example, like if we're going to season the hamburger beef, how would you how would you do that, Chris? Sometimes, sometimes I feel like with meat in general, like uh, keeping it simple with salt and pepper is not a bad thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, me too. I think there's like some really great seasonings out there, but I don't know if you're going to, I think if you want the best results, just salt and pepper. I'm a salt and pepper kind of guy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not afraid to try new things, but for, for a lot of dishes, there's something about that kind of idea of, especially if you have like good ingredients, if you have some good meat, allowing it to kind of shine. And I, I don't think that salt and pepper, like they elevate the meat. They don't overpower the meat as a lot of seasonings might do. And also, like, we're all familiar with salt and pepper. At least we should be. And so, like, cause I feel like sometimes if you're using a different type of seasoning that you might, you know, just, like, find in the spice rack of, of the grocery store, sometimes you can just overdo it because you're not, like, really familiar with how much to use or what the ratios are. And fine, if you get good at that, then I, I guess go with it. But I think for me, like, I just feel so much more comfortable using salt and pepper. So, I like, I just know that it's it's going to be a really good... Juicy burger. Have you ever been to a cookout and someone has served you a burger that has like got a little mound on it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. A berm, think, if you will. I, I think maybe one of the things I've seen is them like shrink more often. Maybe maybe it's a combination yeah. of like shrinkage and then puffage. It just depends on the axis. You don't want the burger berm. Well, there's a way to fix that. And all you have to do is just like stick a little thumbprint right there in the middle of that burger patty. And it's not like foolproof, but it helps. It helps it from puffing up because I think like the knee-jerk reaction is to take a spatula and then like mash it back down on the grill but then you lose so much of the juices mm. when you do that yeah so then just like putting a little thumbprint in there can help I can see that you're applying an equal and opposite force kind of I've seen people put an ice cube in the middle of that thumbprint I don't really understand that one I've tried it and I've never noticed like any type of difference I don't know if this is like some gimmicky thing but I guess that works for some people uh, you can also just Took like, take like a little slice of butter and then put that directly in the thumbprint. And then that can obviously keep your burger patty pretty juicy. But if you really want a good juicy burger, don't be afraid to go on the little fatty side. 
I like a good 80-20 ground shock. Okay. So actually, one, one question is, do you know what causes that moundage to happen? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. So yeah, like uh, the 80-20 the ratio there, I can definitely get behind. Because, you know, a, a lot of the the juiciness that you're perceiving is actually probably like the fat in the meat that's being rendered. Yeah, so maybe if you, if you don't want to get the 80-20 and you're okay with a drier burger, then, I mean... Obviously, that's that's your own problem. But if it's all you have, if you have like a ninety three seven, if that were me, I'm I'm taking a slice of butter and I'm putting that right on the burger. A little counterintuitive, but it's a quick fix. I don't know if it's counterintuitive. Butter makes everything better. We've discussed this, Phil. Absolutely, I cannot disagree with you there. Butter does make everything better. Would you put butter on a hot dog? Uh now that you've given me the idea, yes. Because I had not thought about it before now, and I might try this. Definitely on the bun. And I feel like if you put it on a hot dog, it's going to oh, kind of yeah. melt and then like absorb into the bun. And that sounds pretty great, actually. I'm okay with that. Let's try it. So on the bun, though, do you, I think they call it floating. Like, do you float the bun where you lather it up with butter and then put it on the grill? Toast it? Sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if I have a go-to. Yeah, I don't know if I do either. Maybe if it's like really cold or actually if they're kind of stale. If, they're, if, they're, if they've dried out, you can then just like throw it on the grill and it'll moisten up, I feel like. Or at least you wouldn't notice the dryness. As much yeah. if it were cold. Aside from that, I mean, there's not like really a ton of ways that you can improve the hot dog in and of itself because you're kind of relying on what like the brand or, you know, whatever type of packaging you get. For me, I, I think it's OK to spend a little extra money and get a really good hot dog, whether it's like a kosher like Nathan's or Boar's Head makes a really good hot dog in, in the animal casing that I think is pretty delicious. A little bit more expensive, but worth it. But really the... The creativity in a hot dog comes from the toppings, whereas like the hamburger, I feel like you really have to care for that beef. The hot dog, on the other hand, I just say get really creative with the toppings, like ditch the ketchup and the mustard and the relish and maybe the chopped onions. I mean, okay, fine, whatever. But if you're going to so if you're going to serve hot dogs to your guests, have like a full on hot dog bar. Chicago style, Detroit, obviously New York has their own version of the hot dog. I think every place has its own version. Um, but I was in I was in Maui and they had like pineapple and avocado and red onion on theirs and it was just absolutely incredible. So Okay. I can absolutely see that on a hamburger. I'm not sure how. I feel about that on a hot dog, though, Phil. It's worth trying out. I think some other combos to consider could be obviously like pineapple and avocado, but then throwing some Texas peat hot sauce on that. That's absolutely incredible. Delish. But I, but we've been through this. I'm a big Texas peat hot sauce fan. You can do, obviously, sautéed onions with lemon pepper and Lowry's. We've we've talked about that before. That's kind of a, a really good, you know, if you, if you like a caramelized onion flavor. Shoot, that actually goes pretty good on steak, too. That could be another episode. Here's one for you that I found recently. Corn salsa and feta cheese. I'm thinking about that. I'm not sure what I think about it, but I'm I'm thinking about that. So what are your go-to hot dog toppings? You like a little bit of celery salt, Chris? Like a banana pepper? What do you put on your hot dog? I I would say that, you know, we actually don't have a lot of hot dogs on a day-to-day basis, but... I would say that if I was if I was going to choose, since a a frankfurter is still a sausage, I would you know maybe upgrade that sausage a little bit. And I gotta say that I'm a fan of keeping it classic with maybe some like sauerkraut and grilled onions. That's all it needs. 
Yeah, those are, I mean, those are good. What about like a spicy brown mustard with it? Uh, I'm not, I'm not the biggest mustard fan. So typically I'm going to skip mustard on a hot dog. Okay. I can, I can definitely do like a Chicago style though as well. I don't, I don't discriminate when it comes to hot dog toppings, except for, well, actually now that I think about it, several of yours, the pineapple thing, <laughs> and I'm not sure about feta cheese and salsa, but some of the more normal like topping selections I can definitely get behind. There's some really fun combos out there. And I think like just getting creative with what you have on hand to spice up your hot dog, that's my jam. Listen, I'll make you a deal. If you try pineapple and avocado on a hot dog, I'll try chocolate bitters on mine. I don't know if that's a win. Oh, on your hot dog? Yeah. Oh, okay. Meh, maybe. I, I, could, I could maybe agree to that. A little bit of sweet and savory going on. Or like savory and savory. Did you get chocolate bitters? No, I, I haven't bought any yet. I need to get some for real. But then I think that like takes us into this whole new category on what trumps a hot dog. And it's a bratwurst. Yes, I'm not going to disagree. And I, I guess that's kind of what I meant by upgrading the hot dog since it's, it's gone all in the sausage family. Sure, sure. Okay, you don't like mustard. You know what I don't like, Chris? I'm going to guess relish. I don't like ketchup. Oh, okay. How do you feel about little, little tiny chopped up pickles? Like gherkin style? Sure. I think relish is delicious. Okay. I like relish. I like it sweet. I like it dilly. I like it willy-nilly. I like relish. It's good, but I don't like ketchup. I just think it's like, I don't know, it's too intense of a flavor. And mustard isn't? I, well, <laughs> yeah, but but mustard offers something. Sometimes I feel like you just put ketchup on something because it doesn't have flavor. Maybe maybe one question is what type of ketchup are you using? Because there's... I mean, I'm just thinking like the Heinz. There's your classic Heinz that is just... Filled with sugar, and that's pretty much all you taste is like it's kind of like tomato syrup. That's one thing, but there are ketchups out there, Phil, that are a step more evolved than that. Send me some, okay? That and some uh, sriracha. Oh yeah, was it Yellow Bird? Yes, I actually saw that at a wedding the other day, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, well done, guys!" It's amazing. It would probably be fantastic on a hot dog. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so which is better? The hot dog or the hamburger? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If it's strictly a hot dog versus a hamburger, I might have to go with a hamburger. But if you're throwing a bratwurst in the mix, I don't know. It might be more of a toss-up. Hmm. How about this? If it's lunch, a brat. And if it's dinner, a hamburger. Okay. Would you do either of those two things for breakfast? No, 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 no. Okay. Here's one that I absolutely cannot do. A reheated hamburger patty. Like after it's been grilled, can't reheat that the next day. I don't know if I've ever tried it with a hot dog. Hmm. I just can't do it. Just can't do it. I'm sorry. I feel like a hot dog might maybe reheat better. A sausage, I think, would or like like a brat would. Definitely not a hot dog. Or I mean, definitely not a hamburger. I just picture shriveled up sadness. Yeah, that's gross. Although reheated meatloaf might not be awful. But now we're getting back to the 19th century hamburger. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe we should just be getting back to the origins. Ditch the hamburger, just serve meatloaf. Meatloaf.